Hello, everyone. Welcome to another episode of Magnum Talks TV. I am Lee. I am here. I am joined live in the flesh from sunny North Carolina by Spencer. Spencer, say hey to the people. Hey, everybody. We are prepping for our annual New Year's tradition. As such, Spencer is in town. We are recording live. We are covering season two, episode four of HBO Succession titled Safe Room. We just watched it, Spencer. First time we've ever watched a Succession episode together. Mm -hmm. First time you saw the episode. What did you think? Well, it was an interesting experience. For one, the utterly frantic typing you engage in to try to get your notes out and prepared as we go through the episode is a thing of beauty. It was just It's a blur of just keys on a board right there. Yeah, I we watched it one time through, no pausing, no stopping. I got four pages of notes out of it. I typically have about eight, so if we're a little loose this time, that's why. But hopefully we can hit the general high points. Proper secretarial skills right there. But in, term, in terms of the episode itself, this was an interesting, I felt, change of pace compared to the last few of where... There were definitely moments of frenetic activity in terms of there was a literal shooter, there were protests in the streets, there were some serious discussions about the American Nazi Party, but it felt slower pace. It felt like an episode where we got to really focus into kind of the emotional undercurrents that have been building there for a while, but we haven't really directly addressed yet. And that was a, that was fun. We got to see a real insights into several of the characters. Some I would in some ways preferred not to have, but <laughs> it was it was an interesting change of pace in giving us that kind of insight. Yeah, there was a moment, we'll get to it, uh, it's in the back half of the episode with Roman and Jerry where I couldn't look at you because I was just <laughs> laughing so hard. And it's just so uncomfortable. It's the show, just new heights every week. Oh, definitely so. being weird. Uh, we'll plug a couple of things. Check out Mangum Reads, check out Pottering Around. But the big thing coming from the Mangum Talks uh, podcast channel in the coming weeks are our episodes we're going to do over New Year. We have a bunch of whiskey we're going to try. Mm -hmm. um, and uh, we have a plan, I think, a schedule. And I think we'll do at least two to three episodes look for those in the coming weeks. I think there's even a discussion of us being remarkably classy and doing a round of cocktails to do a change of pace. There might be there might be a Mangum Reads crossover uh, with some of the, the Mangum Reads cocktails that my wife put together with Whiskey on the Weekend, so that should be fun. At least, you know, 70% of it were apparently entirely inedible, but we'll make, th make it through. <laughs> yeah, well, that's, that's what's coming. But right now, the issue at hand is episode four, mm -hmm. Safe Room. Spencer, you want to get the recap? Sounds like we got a plan. All right, we'll do the recap. We'll do Roy of the episode. We'll do Spencer's relationship advice of the episode, if he has any. Uh, probably not a lot to work from this episode. And then we also have, um, we're going to do Roman line of the episode, which some weeks is Roman, some weeks is not. Yeah, the segment is named Best Roman Quotes, but there are times of when someone else just rises to the top of the heap and has to be acknowledged. And that may happen this episode, because Roman, um, to steal your line, a little bit on background here, he's not the, the central... Uh, narrative in the episode at all. We probably have less Roman lines in this episode than any we've had so far. And I think it's par almost part of the intent. He's purposely exiled himself as part of going through this uh, scheme that Jerry's devised for him to actually build himself up in his dad's eyes. After the disaster that was bore on the floor. Oh, God. Uh, okay, let's start the recap. We start with Kendall walking up a stairwell. He goes out onto a roof and calls Naomi Pierce. Clearly, he's just leaving a message here. Spencer... Clearly, through the course of this episode, you get suicide vibes from Kendall. Did you get it right away? No. Right here, I was a little bit confused as to where we were. I think we were debating this when we were watching the episode. Mm -hmm. Was This appears to be a very dilapidated, abandoned floor of a building. I'm guessing from what we see later, it's actually part of the Waystar facility. Mm -hmm. It's one that's under construction. But it's a weird kind of place that he continues to return to. I think he's here three times over the course of the episode. Yep. And we don't know why he comes here, other than what it seems to be for solitude. But it, at least at present, is the place he wants to continue the negotiations that apparently Frank has started between them and the CEO of Pierce. Yep. 
Um, well, I don't know that this is the CEO because he's calling Naomi Pierce. Was he, was he calling Naomi Pierce or was he calling Rhea? I thought uh, he was calling Rhea. Okay, maybe he was calling Rhea. But either way, Rhea, CEO, Naomi Pierce, I think she's just... A Fa- amongst the family. Person in the family, absolutely. Like a shib type. Um, Tommy Shibber in the car on the way to Roystar. Uh, this is can, this is uh, Shiv's big day. She's actually being called in. She's going to shadow for a day. Mm-hmm. As a sexy, sexy intern, as Tom later puts it. <laughs> yeah. Um, Tom then sputters out a batshit line um, about Shib potentially banging her dad. You know, but not that. But, you know, what? that. What is it with this family of just having these weird incesty vibes with Shib? Because... Th- if Tom was alone in doing this, that'd be fine. But Roman makes this a recurring thing, too. Yeah, Tom, it's like you and your dad have finally admitted how much you're into each other, you know? And now you can, you know, not this, but now you can bang. Why do they say these things? <laughs> so fucking strange. Um, they're discussing, um, we should kind of let that go. And they are discussing Ravenhead, who is apparently an on-air personality for ATN who is having some sort of scandal. Mm-hmm. Uh, we get more about that later. When they get to uh, Raystar's uh, headquarters, there's protesters out in support of Ravenhead and some against him. Yeah, apparently the issue of Ravenhead being a possible fascist mm-hmm. is now very out there in the world. They don't. I think they. I don't think they clearly told us what came out, other than maybe. I, I think what the main event that we hear that came out was that it finally has been released that he went when in his younger years to some political meet where fascists <laughs> were openly on stage with him. <coughs> Yeah, he. Sorry for coughing there. It's great radio. Um, yeah. So apparently, there's like been a video release mm-hmm. of him at some sort of fascist rally, and possibly a couple decades in the past. Which but. Tom tries to dismiss yeah. by it, explaining that it was a long time ago. He lives in Connecticut. Yeah. He likes the Knicks. This is like the most old Jewish lady <laughs> character witness I've ever heard. Oh yeah. my god, he's so nice. He's yeah. out in Connecticut. That's exactly what he's doing here. Um, but it seems clear to me as the episode goes on that Tom. Would rather this not be an issue. It doesn't really have a moral compunction to deal with it. It's more of like a managerial issue for him. I don't think Tom has many moral compunctions, period. I think Tom is purely mercenary and is happy to be such. Though in his words, who wasn't salty at 21? Who wasn't salty at 21? I don't think I had a fascist stage growing up, but you know, maybe certain people do. And as Shib and Tom walk into ATN, Shib makes a fucking crazy comment here like, wouldn't it be nice if somebody cleaned all this up? You know, like me. But, or you, I guess. <laughs> She has ambition of nothing else. Man, she's been there 20 minutes. Or 20 seconds, really. She's just walking up the uh, the steps. Cut to Roman arriving at one of the parks for his management training program. He accepted Jerry's advice. Uh, he's getting out of the car. Quote, the prince is departing the palace. <laughs> I like that Roman is sort of undercover here. He, he kind of has like the ball cap on mm-hmm. and, the, and the collared... Um, you know, black jacket. Yeah, he's going in the same door as everybody else. He's trying the same pastries and spitting them out and putting them back on the plate as anybody else. That is just unforgivable. <laughs> what? He, t- he takes a like he a half a bite of a pastry mm-hmm. and then just puts it back. Just throw it in the garbage. Yeah, he. he, he I don't think he actually chews. He just kind of mouths it for a second, and then puts it back on the exact same plate where it came from. So gross. Anyway, then there's an introductory video which has a monologue by Logan. Kendall also speaks. Roman is shown on the screen, but does not speak. Mm-hmm. Um, Roman takes issue with this, calls Jerry, and complains about him not having a speaking part. Um, then we cut to um, a really good bit of back and forth here with Jerry. Um, I'm gonna I'm gonna do it for you. So Roman says it's not a big deal, Jerry. I don't care how many minutes I get. It's just the message extends. Jerry, sure thing. I get it. So uh, how's it going? Oh, amazing. I'm stripping back the basics. This is my white album. Is it very horrible in America? Oh, yes. It's glorious, yes. 
No amount of antibacterial gel is going to be able to wipe the America off me. This is good for you, Rome. I know. I'm going to grow up and become a real little boy and learn the price of an egg and do phone sex with my girlfriend like a normal. So, could be a potential Roman line of the episode. Could be a potential line of the episode. I think I like, I like it even better that apparently he actually... We see later in the episode he actually does attempt to have phone sex like a yes. normal with his girlfriend. So he does. This is like a change in lifestyle for him that he's doing. He's, he's committing. He's doing he's doing the level best that Roman can do to commit to this. But an example really apparent early on that though he's going through the same thing as the average person who wants to start management training, he clearly is subject to a bit of a different standard in the sense that the video just started and he's just able to walk out of the room. Oh, and yeah. just walks out and makes a call. Oh, yeah. Do you think that the instructor knows that that's Roman Roy? Oh, hell yeah. Yeah. I do. Oh, hell yeah. I do, too. Um, cut to Logan's office, and Shib is there. And they're sipping champagne. Mm-hmm. Nice. Starting their day proper. Uh, Kendall comes in with uh, Logan's medicine and explained that Joan missed a dose, therefore he is now on medicine duty. Which Shib finds very interesting already. She does not like that he's on medicine duty. She does not like that it's very apparent that he's now... Colin serves his role, but the real body man apparently is now Kendall. Yeah, and we have the first of multiple awkward back and forths with uh, Kendall and Shib in the, the Raystar offices this episode. Mm-hmm. Where they're both kind of staking their own little territorial positions with each other. And Kendall... Shib's trying to understand what Kendall's position is. Kendall seemed to understand immediately what Shib's going for, and she's just letting her eventually tell him. Yep, absolutely. We cut back to the parks... Um, or the park, and Roman is there, and he is dressed up in a costume. <laughs> He's dressed as a turkey, too, which is even better, given he hated that damn turkey. Yeah, the big turkey. And he you notice he had the little badge that says big turkey on it? So oh, clearly yeah. a character from that movie. That he got so mad that his girlfriend was watching that he broke up with her over it. Yep, yep. That she was watching it with, you know, his little nieces and nephews. Utterly the line in the sand for him. And now, well, here's a question. Do you think he got to pick the turkey? Or they just said, you're in the turkey, and he did not feel like he could object? The latter. I don't think he would have picked it. I can't imagine with his pride he would in any way consented to be in that costume. Right. But he does not uh, completely roll over. He still has a little rebel in him because as he's taking a picture with a couple, he um, insinuates to the guy uh, that he's not um, fulfilling his marital duties. Yeah. Uh, so in his words, so I'm guessing you two aren't fucking much. Excuse me. You need to go home and figure this shit out. This is a sad state of affairs, my friend. This woman needs satisfaction you're clearly not providing. Thanks for coming. Enjoy the park. <laughs> What'd you say? Oh, gobbly go. Go fuck yourself. Gobbly go fuck yourself. <laughs> uh, uh, one point just to hit. Um, I think we've noticed now for every episode when they do the, you know, the, cre- the opening credits, the opening spiel, that there's a ticker that shows whenever they uh, depict ATN news that oh, changes yes, yes. episode to episode. Mm-hmm. And we, through diligent pausing and bringing in a magnifying glass to be able to see what it said, wrote it down as, local elections to be axed for more democratic system, and my favorite, gender fluid illegals may be entering the country twice. Twice. <laughs> once as a male, once as a female. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, that's, um, that's a tough one. Um, but I love the how they, they change the intro every time to have some sort of batshit headline and it clearly is just a shot at fox news and watching this here with you i think it's the first time i really noticed it's not even the ticker that changed they changed the (laughs) images they changed the visuals that we see too it's all it seems like it's an evolving kind of intro that's a lot of fun yeah they do and it it kind of reminiscent of game of thrones how early seasons game of thrones used to do that wasn't that fun back then oh it was a blast back to raystar and sid is talking to greg and she's basically asking, just what do you do around here? Mm-hmm. Um, Thank you, Office point, Space reference. At one point, she actually asked him, uh, do, like in reference to Tom, do you have to milk him? <laughs> to which 
Greg basically responds, uh, no, just keep my head down and keep the lattes flowing, you know? I know. Tom comes in and immediately gives credence to what Sid is saying. Because he just screams, Greg, latte me. (laughs) Greg flees the premises. Uh, Tom walks in. Apparently the board was meeting uh, before. Mm -hmm. And he makes a joke about, well, now the real meeting can start. It looks like Logan and his either direct and direct direct reports, as -hmm. as Tom put it. He's a direct direct report, um, are having a meeting in there. And uh, Tom... Mate got a real belly laugh out of me mm-hmm. because Ship is in the corner and he just yells out, hey, who's the hot intern? <laughs> Good to know that Tom views the sexual harassment policy since it's entirely irrelevant to his day-to-day work life. Yeah, uh, he doesn't play by those rules. Uh, Roman texts Jerry that he's miserable. Uh, Roman just shoots him in a, or uh, Jerry just shoots him in a motocon back. Did you see which one it was? I thought, I thought it was the finger. No, I thought it was just a smile, like a, a smiley face. Okay, good for her. Yeah, um, Logan, Kendall, and Frank are discussing uh, the meeting with Pierce's CEO. Uh, this is Ray Jarrell. And this is where Shib, looking through the glass into another meeting room, realizes fucking Kendall is in the inner, inner circle. Right. Like, it's just three of them. And Logan even points out in that conversation that the meeting with uh, Pierce's CEO stays between them three. Yeah. And it's really interesting to see Shiv's reaction to this. She's really only slowly coming to realize how much she's not at the big boy table. Right. And it's truly looking from the other room at them. And one of the ways she recognizes it is just watching Logan's emotional responses to Kendall. Of where he displays elements of physical affection with him that Shiv's looking at this going, I don't know if I've ever experienced that with my dad. Yeah, it's absolutely... And we as viewers are, are going through the same thing. Yeah, Logan's smiling. He's he's reaching out and touching Kendall. He's almost doing his equivalent of a hug of him. It's just it's it's interesting to see how comfortable he is getting or well, how comfortable he's displaying himself around Kendall lately, and leaving us to ponder whether this is new, whether this relationship has always been kind of like this. Yeah, I I tend to think it's new, and I tend I tend to think it's Logan knowing what Kendall needs right now. Hmm. Um, but they sit down at this meeting. Finally, Logan comes in with with Kendall and Frank, and. They're discussing Ravenhead. Yes. Now, over the course of about the next 15 to 20 minutes of the episode, mm-hmm. we get more and more details about this Ravenhead character. And I would just like to point out to the listeners how much fun I had, because I'd seen the episode before, but how much fun I had watching Spencer <laughs> get each one of these individual details. Mm-hmm. Because multiple times he was like looking down at his computer, writing notes, and the detail would come up and he just popped his head up and went, whoa. And the first one of those that happened is they, in discussing Ravenhead, say that they have another problem, mm-hmm. and that mm-hmm. is that apparently he got married at Eagle's Nest, which is Hitler's retreat. <laughs> apparently there's a chapel down below Eagle's Nest that I didn't know about before, and yeah, that was where he thought, that's where I want my wedding to be. And, the, and apparently his agent had reassured them, this is just purely coincidence, they were on vacation. I mean, because that happens, right, Spencer? I mean, you want to get married and you just stumble upon Hitler's retreat. Sure. Not like yep. there would be a sign or something telling you what it is. I was in the mountains. We suddenly wanted to get married. And look, there's a chapel. Didn't think about what it was below, really. Yeah. I, I thought it was a Lego. Like, I mean, I don't know how you make that mistake. But uh, I think the implication, implication here is that it was not a mistake. That this guy is a fucking raving uh, maniac. Um, <laughs> and what's so interesting is that Shib draws the same conclusion I did, which is this guy's. I mean, you can't get married at Hitler's retreat by accident. And she's in the corner just scoffing. Yeah. And Logan's trying to shut her down. Kendall's getting more and more pissed that she's inserting herself in the conversation. Finally, Logan punts it back to Sid and says, what do we do? Sid, newswoman that she is, says, mm-hmm. well, I don't know. He's a big draw. <laughs> or Let's keep him. And she makes this point, which I thought was preposterous, which is, well, if we get rid of him, who's next? 
It's like, well, Sid, do you think you just have a bunch of closeted Nazis? Well, let's be fair. <laughs> She's been running this network for a long time. She would probably know if that was the case and may be concerned. Give me a break. Uh, but anyway, Logan says we back talent. But he does ask Tom to really check out yeah. the background of Ravenhead, which is a great scene we get a little bit later. It, it's, it's interesting, too. We see that Shiv once Logan basically tells her off to shut up and stay in the corner, is trying to feed Tom lines. He's trying to, you know, mm-hmm. encourage Tom to do something. But Kendall calls her, calls her out at one point. Yeah. But it leads, sidelines. it leads Tom to kind of hurt himself throughout the conversation where he's trying to accommodate her. He's just bounced around like a ping pong ball trying to hit, trying to hit and satisfy both sides. And that should tell Tom just how miserable he would be if Shib actually takes over. Because she's, yeah. she can't even... When she's shadowing on day one, morning of, mm-hmm. not tell him what to do. What yeah. do you think she's going to do if she's been running the company for five years? And again, it's one of those things of where, what role do we think Tom would have if she was actually running this company? Because his purpose right now is to serve as her in. Mm-hmm. But from what we've already seen of her discussions with Logan, the role she's devised him for is a role she intends to eliminate. Yep. So he may not even be working for it, working for uh Waystar once she jo- once she comes into a position of power. Yeah, I wouldn't put it past her. Uh, cut to Connor and Wyla. Wyla is asking Connor how he's doing. Apparently, he doesn't. He reacts weird to death, mm-hmm. um, which is something that Wyla has picked up. Um, Connor comes in singing "Happy Death Day to Mo." <laughs> Happy Death Day to Mo. So he's in good spirits. Apparently, a very a weird reaction, but not the one she was expecting from him. Right. She so she says, "Okay, I guess you're not so sad then." And he's, he explains that. Um, he's going to go raise a bunch of money at this funeral. Oh, yeah. He sees this as an opportunity right here. For his presidential campaign, which apparently he's still doing. Mm. Um, As they leave, um, Connor uh, very politely says that he's got a donor boner. He does. Which Wyla just kind of scoffs and says, that's cute. (laughs) Yeah, that one seems a little bit more more sarcastic than the cute from the last episode. I I have a theory about these characters and and the actors. I think that the the age difference between the actors... Mm initially might have been a little bit difficult for them to develop a rapport. Sure. But as the episodes go on and we're now in the second season, they actually have some chemistry and comedic timing that I don't think they had in the first maybe five episodes it's of an, season one. It's an interesting it's an interesting impression on how that might work because I agree. They really have a nice flow between each other now. It really is an interesting banter that the two of them work off each other for. And it's such a stark difference from the very stilted interaction they had in season one. So that's an interesting thought about maybe why that is. Yeah, and I'm not, I mean, but it's clearly getting better. And, I'm, and I think the writers see that because they give them these little moments they didn't give them before, where they're just kind of bantering back and forth. Mm-hmm. And it makes me think about what um, the various directors and the showrunner has said about this show, is that they started in season one, episode one, like any other show, firm script, here's your lines. Mm-hmm. What they found out is that the, they're, had a lot of people on uh, in their cast who have actual improv and comedic training. Mm-hmm. And so now they, they've said it's it's about 75% scripted and about 25% improv. Hmm. And so I wonder if with these two characters, they're just kind of letting them run. That is a very interesting thought right there. I hadn't really pondered that. But if so, that has been a useful working in the evolution of the two of them to try to mirror possibly how they wanted to depict their relationship evolving too. Mm-hmm. So at least what we see on screen now, the two of them seem closer with each other, even friendly with each other in a way that we did not see back in season one. Absolutely. And it was also interesting, too, to see this scene of where at least Marsha wants to work Wyla into the various family schemes and shenanigans because apparently they've got a plan for her at Moe's funeral. Yes. Uh, they do. Uh, Moe. Moe's, fu- Moe's funeral. Okay. 
Uh, back to Waystar, and Greg walks into a room where Tom is using a guy named Jonah as a footstool. I was flabbergasted by this when I saw it, where I didn't even know how to respond. I mean, that's what you do at paralegals, right? Okay, you're in the corporate setting. Sure. You, you know, you're in a proper Waystar kind of corporation. Not really. We're going to go with this. Okay. Work with me for right now. All right. So I presume that when the new intern comes in, this is just the necessary hazing that's part of them joining the corporate family. I have not only never seen it in the workplace, I've never heard of such a thing. I did Google it, and apparently there has been some cases of this happening in like high finance offices and people getting ethics violations and, and you know. Yeah, you, you, find concerns. This, you find this information Googling it to see it's the basis of the lawsuit that's now pending. Yeah, no, that's crazy. And you don't, on record, you don't do that to paralegals? Uh, no, I don't particularly enjoy lawsuits that target me personally or bar violations that result in my license being suspended. So, yeah, I tend to avoid it. And Greg had the same reaction we did, which is like, what are you doing? He was so uncomfortable. But then Tom says, well, we lost a bat. At some point, Jonah will do this to me too, which I don't, it's obviously a lie. Yeah. And then he insists that Greg put his feet on Jonah. And Greg, nice guy that he is, good guy Greg, says, well, if I'm too heavy, let me know. And he only puts one <laughs> one leg on Jonah. Very awkwardly too. Yeah. Um, I, think, I think Greg would very much prefer if he stops getting involved in the illegal acts that uh, Tom likes to regularly commit. Uh, then Tom asks Greg what he has on Ravenhead. Because, as we've seen, when Tom is tasked with something, mm -hmm. he generally just makes Greg do it mm -hmm. while he fucks off. Um, and Greg has something. Apparently, Ravenhead named his dog Blondie, which is what <sighs> Hitler named his dog. Great piece of dialogue here. Blondie, that's not good. But you know, Logan likes and America likes and and Blondie is pretty common. Been to Greg. No, but I mean, fascist meeting, Nazi wedding, Hitler dog. <laughs> and then Tom, oh dude, if it's true, he's gone. I mean, Nazis, terrible, right? Greg, <laughs> Nazis? Yeah, they're the worst. <laughs> you saw me double over with laughter. It's oh, like the fourth yeah. time I've seen this episode. I still laugh at Greg's reaction. Nazis? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Do, you, do I have to really confirm this to you? <laughs> yeah, we have Godwin's Law in place because Nazis are so obviously bad, it's stereotypical to even assign them as your bad thing. Yes, Tom, Nazis equal bad. And then we end the scene with Tom saying, yeah, yeah, sure, 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 yeah. We all hate Nazis. And we all hate Sid. Right, Jonah? <laughs> so clearly this, this thing with Jonah being a footstool has something to do um, with his ongoing petty rivalry with Sid. Yeah, Tom's trying to flex his muscles apparently, and given how Tom actually has no power either personally or professionally, the only way, only person you could do this on is an intern. Uh, we cut back to management training, and I guess Roman is in like a locker room where he's just taking the the, num the big turkey, yeah. the number one turkey he, costume off. He's sweaty. He's had a long day of working the turkey, so you know he's he's resting with his fellow. Working the turkey. I try. <laughs> And Roman meets a guy who I'm going to posit is a blue-collar version of Roman. Yes, very fair. Um, great line of batshit dialogue from this guy. Uh, Roman, what's your story, hunky-dory? Me? I'm an enigma. You can't pigeonhole me. I'm there, then I'm gone. I'm intellectually promiscuous, but I'm culturally conservative. I work hard, but I do not play hard. I play easy. Why would you play hard? This guy comes firing right out of the Oh, game. yeah. Speaking Roman's language, mm -hmm. just it might be something that Roman would say in another life. Mm-hmm. Um, if he was, you know, maybe worth about $3 billion less. Mm -hmm. uh, but anyway, uh, Roman does like the guy. He introduces himself. And then the guy asks who Roman is, and he says he's, uh, what he's, what does he say, Ron Rockstone? Yeah, which I love that the guy can't, doesn't even pretend to take that seriously. Like, good, very solid name. Sure, man. Yeah. <laughs> 
Okay. Hello, assumed name. Nice to meet you. Uh, cut back to Waystar, and Jerry is telling Shib basically that the rest of Logan's day is booked. Yeah, and again, this is Shiv slowly starting to realize, huh, I'm not getting the accelerated track that I thought I was going to get. Nope. And Jerry pushes, Shiv pushes Jerry to say, what is really going, so there's something going on here. Yeah. I need to know what it is. Jerry, always playing both sides, typical mm-hmm. Jerry, says, look, there's an issue with Kendall. He's stealing, what, like batteries and vape fluid or something? Yeah, is it, it's, I think it's Jess, Kendall's assistant, that wa- walks in to briefly say, uh, yeah, something up, Caroline is talking, we'll, we'll work it out. And oh, so, okay, yeah, yeah. That, so, so that's what prompts Shib to say what's going on. Yeah, and so as you said, Jerry reveals that apparently uh, the petty theft that we saw Kendall commit, uh, what was it, two or three episodes ago? Uh, yeah, is, it was last episode, yeah. It, oh, were they oh last, no, two, two, you're right. Yeah, yeah. Was apparently now a regular thing that he's doing. Yeah, yeah, I think the first time we saw that is after he killed Walter. Yeah, and he, like, mm. I think pulled some batteries off the wall and just tossed them into a trash can mm. just because he needed some measure of control over his own life. Shib cracked me up, though, because she heard that he was stealing vape fluid and said he can buy the whole industry. <laughs> what is he doing? <laughs> yeah, but maybe Shiv should be taking some notes about, hey, this is your first insight, insight into what where Kindle psychology is right now. Maybe this man needs a hug. Yeah, and she does figure that out later on in the episode. Um, Jerry does explain to Shib that they are cleaning it up without getting Kindle involved. Uh, Shib, oh, good, that'll teach him a lesson. I mean, what the fuck? How many lives does this guy have? Very fair question. <laughs> yeah. I mean, all the other siblings are baffled by the fact that Kendall's even still in the room. I mean, from their perspective, they assume that he was dead in this company the first time you went against the dead. Much less the second time you went against the dead. Yep. Uh, apparently, then, um, Logan is pushing to clean it up without Kendall's involvement. Logan, again, understanding Kendall's in a rough psychological place. Mm-hmm. Uh, Kendall walks in and there's another, this is the second tense exchange between Kendall and Shiv of the episode. Kendall asks Shiv what her career plan is and she basically fires back with, do I have to tell you? Yeah, it was an interesting response for her. And then I believe Jess comes in and alerts Kendall that some secret person is on the way. It's an interesting conversation they have because there's this little stilted exchange of where, you know, Kendall basically says, so I heard you got fired. To which Shiv just utterly starts getting her hackles up. I left. I walked out. I walked out. No one believes her. Not at all. Like, not at all. Um, but he's trying to, you know, have a nice little exchange with her. He's like, you know, he's not able to really get it out, but he's basically saying, I'm sorry that happened, and, you know, if you want to talk about it kind of thing. And apparently that's just not the nature of the relationship that they have with each other because Shiv does not know how to emotionally respond to it. No, not at all. And I do, I'm going to sidetrack here, I do have a theory about why everybody thinks that Shib was fired. Okay. And that is because I bet you Nate got out in front of it. Oh, hell yeah. Because it's such a good story for good guy Bernie Sanders to say, oh, well, we got a taste of her and she just was polluted with the Roy family, blah, 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 right? Mm-hmm. So we really appreciated the efforts that she contributed to our campaign, but having now seen the true aspects of her character and how much she could never separate herself from her father and his toxic brand, Not a we felt it necessary yeah. to go in a different direction. And I bet you Nate's out in front of that, which is probably pissing her off. Man, you as a similar political warrior, man, that's a good story to sell to oh, market your campaign, particularly yeah. at that stage of the primary. And you don't have the, the negative of, oh, like a very qualified person is fleeing the campaign. Mm-hmm. Instead, you reframe it to, this is this is just establishing a culture. Yeah, and you can even frame it as a degree of self-sacrifice, too, that she's an incredibly skilled individual who helped us a great deal. Mm-hmm. But we are not willing to compromise our values for that kind of thing right exactly. now. Exactly. I think that's what's going on. Uh, back to the scene, Kendall, um, you know, very awkwardly makes it clear to Shib he cannot tell her what he's doing. Mm-hmm. Um, good quote here from Shib. It's fine, Ken. Do your secret shit. You seem to be mistaking me for someone you were in competition with. Ooh. 
And she gets this little cat-like grin on her face where she just fully assumes that, man, man, he doesn't understand why I'm here. He doesn't understand that I'm the one that's holding all the power. And so she just wants to hint to him. She just, she assumes he doesn't understand and just wants to taunt him with it, essentially. Yep, absolutely. Uh, cut to Rhea Jarrell coming in through the bottom of a parking garage, it looks like. She comes into a meeting room with Logan and Kendall and gets right to uh, the message. Yeah. Um, yeah, I love the reference. That, I mean, she's being smuggled into the back of the office building while there's all these protests up front. She even describes it as being like Cleopatra smuggled in in the carpet kind of thing. Mm-hmm. And yeah, she has these kind of tense exchanges with Kendall. It must they, be Oedipus Roy. Yeah, there's, there's a lot of references to going to cla- the classic literature and uh, well, just the classics as we go through this episode. But it's interesting that Kendall tries to frame a certain degree of cover story, tries to do some polite pleasantries, but they immediately ushers her into a room straight with Logan. Yep. And she comes into that meeting room and drops all pretense. She knows exactly Draw, what this yeah. is. Says, you know, from the message from the family would be a typically balanced, nuanced, and objective. Roy House words, fuck off! <laughs> They're speaking Logan's language with this. And Logan seems to get a kick out of how Rhea, you know, comports herself in this meeting. It's a really interesting exchange of where she's straight up saying, fuck you, fuck you, this is never going to happen, they hate you. And at no point do either Logan or Kendall drop their smiles Mm-mm. of where they fully get what this actually is. Mm-hmm. That this is negotiation. Yep. This is them playing hard to get at the start mm-hmm. so they can drive up the figure. And everyone's on the same page about this, which makes it really interesting later to see that Shiv isn't, which yeah. is put into the mix. Yeah. Logan doesn't lose his temper. Not a bit. Smiles. Good natured. Kendall's kind of the same way. Uh, but Ray does show she's pretty darn smart because she's immediately sussed out that part of what this is is Logan trying to make Raystar so big that they, they're just too large to be taken over by Sandy and Stu. Yeah. Holly Hunter does a great job with the role. She's a lovely actor. Actress love to, love to see her. But yeah, it really demonstrates how clever that she is that she immediately pierces through to the reasons you need us. Pierces. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. Um, reasons that you need us and grounds by which we can drive up this offer as much as we want. Because this is not just simply an ego project for you anymore. You kind of need us to survive. Logan seems amused by her. Kendall tries to reassure her that is not true. Uh-huh. Um, she then says, great line here, a line that's probably been said 400,000 times in the history of corporate America and not a single person who has ever said it actually believed it. Quote, I'm a chief executive. I take my orders from the board. I'm a mere tool. <laughs> I love that the reaction from both Kendall and Logan, this is, uh-huh, yeah, sure. We understand. Yep. Um, they, they, they had planned for a, a sort of lunch. So they said, well, Logan says, I understand your position. Why don't you just stay and eat? She says, my tummy is delicate. We only eat Pulitzer over at Pierce. That was a bit ham-handed of a line, I felt. But... It, was, it wasn't great. Um, cut to Roman and this guy he's met, which I think his name is Brian. Yeah. And they are about to start an exercise. They need to pitch something. Which I... Have you ever had to do these kind of team building exercises where everyone, let's, you know, break up into individual groups and all come back time. with it? All the time. I hate these all so much. All the time. We talked about what I thought corporate retreats meant and what you thought corporate retreat meant. Mm-hmm. Whenever I've been to these, this is the type of exercise you're doing. This break is my, into small groups. We we saw a version of a corporate retreat last week. This is the version of the corporate retreat we've lived this yes. week. It sucks. But what I like is how this is a very standard practice in these types of trainings oh, yeah. or retreats you, or whatever you can expect this going in brian understands that oh, yeah. everybody in the room understands it 
Roman does not understand it. Not at all. Roman freaks the fuck out. What is this? Fucking skull? We're pitching now? What if we fuck it? What if I can't think of anything? I don't have anything prepared. Did you know about this? He's <laughs> literally freaking out at this very normal activity. And he has to, like, he feels like he has to, like, humble himself to even understand what we're doing that. And I was like, I don't know what normos want. What do normos want? What do you want? Well, Brian tries to reassure him. This is cool. It sounds yeah. like a great exercise. Roman, you have fucking no, no fucking understanding of how this works, do you? Like this, right here. This is a ranking egg. It's fucking upper rep. This is a death march through a fucking minefield. What is he even saying right now? He doesn't know. He's just sputtering. Right. This is Roman's response to anything that puts him a little bit off. It's just, it, it's murder. It's murder. That's what, that's what they're doing right now. <laughs> then, to your point, Roman says, what everyday people like? Um, every, well, how the fuck should I know what everyday people like? I'm, I'm like booking out a suite at the Chateau and snorting purified satraline off women that don't know they're prostitutes yet. <laughs> the greatest line, which I, could, I couldn't even get through it because I'm, I'm reading ahead. Brian just says, interesting hobby, Ron Rockstar. <laughs> that may be my line of the episode because I just love that response to Roman. Oh, so fucking good. I, I love that this guy's able to actually work with Roman. Actually, pretty productively as we start to go, go, go from this point on. Mm-hmm. Which, as you said, he's the blue collar Roman. That's the only way this could fuck. This, this could work, and it does work because they actually get to something that you actually commented when we're watching it. Like, yeah. was pretty good. Which was, hey, why don't we like have like a ride that is situational in like certain violent moments in American history, it's like World yeah. War Two, whatever, whatever. Um, which actually sounds kind of interesting to me. Oh yeah, you said the Roman kind of friends is let's do terror. Let's you know just like you're landing at the beaches at Normandy kind of thing. Yeah, yeah. the other guy's. Well, yeah, Mer- violence is always a good sell to the American people. And I'm, you, both you and I are looking at each other nodding going, yeah, I'd do that. That's interesting. Go. Yeah, that's, that's cool. So they actually come up with something pretty cool. Um, cut back to Waystar and Tom is meeting with Ravenhead. Great scene here. Oh, man. Um, Ravenhead <laughs> seems to know that this is Tom performing some level of due diligence based on the current scandal. Tom asks if he has or has, if he is or has ever been a member of of the Nazi party. It looks like Tom has like a checklist that's been printed out for him, probably by Jerry, of where these are the questions I need you to confirm before before, before we get this done. And he tries to create this sort of jovial like, oh, dude, you know how it is. I just have to ask these yeah, questions, but like, we're on a level. And Ravenhead, not particularly compelling in his answers. Um, he he says, well, no, I'm not, I'm not a member of the Nazi party. Um, then Tom asks um, about the dog. Mm-hmm. And he says, well, the dog thing's bullshit. Great. Yeah, great, great. Different spelling. And I, you saw, you know, you noticed my reaction to that. <laughs> it, what? That's what you're going with? That's your defense right now? Is that he spelled it differently. That, well, that's compelling right there. Um, then he goes, oh, oh, oh okay. Um, have you ever read Mein Kampf? <laughs> uh, yeah, a couple times. A couple times? Mm-hmm. Were there Easter eggs in there that you didn't catch the first time? Loved that line. That's such a funny line. Uh, absolutely. Um, then he, you know, Ravenhead said, well, I, I skimmed it. Oh, skim, skim. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And, um, um, what's... and then Ravenhead says, well, look, Tom, I, I just find this period of history in- interesting. World sure. War II, the lead up to World War II. Fair response, sure. And so Tom, this is where he first starts to go off script. Yeah. Because he kind of puts the manila folder away a little bit. He goes, uh, well, what, what specifically do you find interesting about that period of history? Mm-hmm. Ravenhead, the scale, the tragedy. Hell yeah, yeah. Uh, what tragedy specifically? Uh, Europe decimated. Uh, 7 million Germans, 20 million Russians, 5 million Poles. Yeah, yeah. Just checking the till here. Um, it seems you're short a few million. <laughs> just checking the till. Yeah, here. you know, 
It seems like we're missing some Jews, gypsies, and other people in that total a little bit. <sighs> Homosexuals, mentally ill, yeah. Um, just checking the till here. That's great writing. Yeah. Uh, then there's a gunshot, or what sounds like a gunshot. It was a very distinct sound of a gunshot, yeah. Uh, Greg, what was that? The fuck was that? Uh, Tom then proceeds to... Freak the this hell is a out. this is a George Costanza uh-huh. at the uh, in the episode of Seinfeld where he's at the kids' party yep. and somebody yells fire and he knocks all the kids out of the way and gets them. <laughs> he's Tom is totally shoving being, women out of the way, shoving women out of the way. Executives coming through, yeah. I think he even says. Mm-hmm. Uh, so yeah, real hero, uh, Tom. Uh, and they go running to a panic room, which raises an interesting question of where I know my office does not have that. Do you know if your office has some kind of panic room equivalent or anything like that? Uh, well, I mean, we don't. We have a campus, so we have like. 15 buildings on campus. I don't know. Maybe some of the, the, maybe the building with the executives do. I don't know. But these are a thing in some major corporate offices. Oh, that they yeah. have that kind of secured location you go to during these moments. I am absolutely certain that something, some company like Waystar would have that. Because I bet you Fox News does. I bet. Well, given the, given what they know of the tension that they cause, the hostile response to some of the things they do, it would be stupid for them not to. So Tom and Greg are ushered into a room that Tom tells Greg is the panic room. Uh-huh. I bet you at some point in Tom's training, he was told, there's a panic room. He seems to think it's this room. Greg immediately calls bullshit. Mm-hmm. What makes it a panic room? It's just a room. <laughs> yeah, this looks like unused office space. This is what this is. Tom calls Shib. Um, Tom posits that the shooter might be after him. Yeah. Which Shib even laughs at. Yeah, I, I love Tom's logical thought process of where he knows jack shit, but he's telling Shib exactly what he thinks is going on. For it's Antifa and they've come after me. You know, cut off the head of ATN. Yeah, and Shib says, well, I'm, I'm on my way to the, 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 the panic room, the safe room. I'll meet Tom you says, there. okay, I'm, I'm in there. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'll see ya. Uh, Logan is being ushered into what looks like the real safe room. And his first thought is to ask about Kendall, not what's going on. I think he does say what's going on, but not like, is there a shooter? You know, where's Shib? That's right. Is, where's Kendall? Yep. Where's Kendall? Is he okay? Yep. Do you think there's a part, a 5% of Logan that was worried that Kendall was the one who's shooting people? Yeah. Or that Kendall shot himself. Yeah. I think that, I think that was why he was so worried um, here and why he was specifically asking about Kendall because it's very fair. I think through... The questions he asks, what he, um, you know, really focuses on in the episode, and how he treats Kendall, I think he knows that Kendall's in a very, very weak place emotionally. Yeah, and, he, and while he's in this panic room, he asks like two or three times, "Where is Kendall? Is he okay? Are you mm-hmm. sending people to go find him?" Because Kendall is in his place right now. Kendall is up on the roof again. He's smoking a cigarette and standing way too close to the ledge. He yeah. actually steps up onto the ledge to look over the side, which. I've covered on this podcast before. I am terrified of heights. I, 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 I mean, my knees were weak watching him do it. I, I mean, I would just collapse right. if I was there. But and, he's just looking over very casually. And again, this is a, this is still very much a construction site. This ledge does not have, like, safety glass or anything else along those lines. It barely even has a guardrail. And he's just looking over the edge while he's got a cigarette in his mouth and then bending over to look down. And the implications we're meant to draw from this scene are pretty obvious, I think, right? Mm-hmm. Greg, cut back to Greg and Tom, and Greg starts pointing out all the reasons that they are just in a room. <laughs> He's like, well, how could this be a panic room? That's not air, the, the door's not airtight, so the, you know, you put gas in there. Um, the windows probably aren't bulletproof. And then he makes a crazy point, so just getting getting real Greg onto the situation, mm-hmm. and says, well, there's a hole, I guess, above the door. Mm-hmm. 
that a, a small person, an attack child, could get to. Is all of he describes as an attack, attack child, child. Could fit through there. And he's right. You know, totally. A well-trained dwarf could just eliminate them all right now. <laughs> and the security guard gamely says, I don't think this type of speculation is particularly helpful. Yeah. He knows they're not in the panic room. Man, this security guard has a, has a, has a rough time with these people. These are, these are a much more unstable bunch than he would really prefer to have in this room right now. Yeah, as much as Tom wants to be in the real safe room, I bet that security guard wants to be in the real safe room, uh, too. Because yeah. um, they're being just a pain in the ass. Uh, back to the real panic room, and Shiv is asking Logan if he has his meds, how his blood sugar is. Logan's not inter- particularly interested in talking about that. He mm. continues to ask about Kendall. Raya then gets in. I say the Yasha Raya in. Mm-hmm. Uh, she makes a joke about how Logan is going to great lengths to keep her there. <laughs> Arranged a shooting just to have me around a bit longer. How nice of you. Ship seems quite surprised to see Raya, which we we were pretty sure Ship had no idea Raya was there. Yeah. But it, that becomes abundantly clear in this episode. It's interesting the two of them appear to know. I, mean, I guess they're both big movers and shakers. They probably yeah. would know each other. But it's interesting that the that Rhea amuse says, "Oh, Shiv, nice to see you again." Mm-hmm. Back to Connor at the funeral. Oh, God, this is a weird scene. He's telling Wyla as they're walking in that the family is safe, but they're not going to be able to make it to the funeral. Wyla, in an attempt to console the family, calls Momo. Which is perfectly fair, because that's the only name we've heard to refer to this person to this point. Connor quickly pulls her aside and says, yeah, Mo's not his real name. Yeah, it's Lester. Lester? Kind of a joke. Mo Lester? Not a very nice joke, I guess. (laughs) Everyone we've seen has been calling this man Mo. The entire time. (laughs) And as Connor then starts to go through this, I was like, well, why have you guys been calling him that? Was he no reason? It's just a dumb joke. It's a, you know, we weren't allowed to be alone with him. You know, touchy fingers. Or couldn't really be in the pool. But you know, he was from a different time. <laughs> I don't know if this is the scene, but there is a scene where Wyla says, "Is that a, it, it?" Wasn't a time without laws. It was a little bit later on. Yeah, it's <laughs> a wonderful comment from Wyla. Wyla, you know, we've been kind of a little bit down on her after the last episode. This episode, she displays some necessary insight for Connor that he otherwise would lack. She does. She she rebounds after I think a week episode last uh, last episode. Um, cuts in management training and Roman's partner is about to pitch. It's mm. interesting to me that he has the partner pitch. Yeah, he won't even pitch. Like, what are you doing, Roman? You're supposed to be like, you're the COO of the company. You yeah. can't even make the pitch. And at least it seemed for the team that went before them, they were both up there delivering the pitch kind of thing. But of course, Roman's not going to go up in front of a crowd right now. Yeah, and as uh, Brian goes up to pitch, security guard comes in, informs Roman of the attack, and asks if he wants to be moved to a more secure location. Shockingly for everybody. Yes, Roman wants to get the hell out of there. Yeah, what's interesting, too, is that he calls him Mr. Roy. Mm-hmm. Loudly to the whole group. Yeah, so the pretense is done now. Everybody knows that... Everyone's on the same page. And this is interesting because it also... In some ways, we see with, like Roman's reaction when he meets Brian later in his version of a safe room, which appears to be a nurse's office, that I don't think Roman really wanted that. I think he kind of wanted the obscurity. Completely agree. Um, we cut back to the actual... JV uh, safe room is what I'm going to start calling it, where, where Tom and and Greg are. I, and I, I don't even know if that's a junior varsity safe room. We're, talk, we're talking Little League. They're in a room. Yeah, they, we in... cut back to a room yeah. that Tom and Greg happen to be in. The room, if you will. Yes. Um, Tom is not happy that Sid is on the air talking about the incident. Thinks it makes her look like brave. Right, and she's him. dodging fire while she's claiming I ran away. Security says that, you know, off the record, he thinks they're in the clear, but they have to wait a little longer. Greg asks Tom if they can talk. Ooh. Um, Greg then attempts to break up with Tom. 
I love that Tom, that, uh, that Tom frames it like that, too. After well, Greg's... I don't know if it's intentional on Greg's part, but he really does make it sound like I'm breaking up with you from our relationship. Mm-hmm. And Tom seizes on that hard. Are you attempting to break up with me, Greg? It's just... Dude, ATN? Human furniture? Like verbal assaults? Physical humiliation? Nazi stuff? Shooters? I just don't, like, love it. I just don't really love it. I want to go explore. Then I can come back. You know, it could be like a like a business open relationship. Yeah, wait, no way wait, of knowing. No way of knowing that that is a trigger. Oh. Huge trigger for Tom. This is not a good feeling, Greg. You're making me have. You know, he goes on um, after saying "fuck, fuck, fuck" over and over again, um, and getting very upset. Mm-hmm. He throws a water bottle at that the he wall. Can't get yeah. open at the wall to start with. Yeah. Greg says, "Hey, hey, Tom, we're good. We're good." Tom, love this sequence here. I'm yeah. gonna say it all. We're good. We're good. It doesn't feel fucking good, Greg. Can we just... Uh, I will not let you do this to me. I will not let go of what is mine. <laughs> at this point now, Tom is throwing water bottles at Greg. Yeah. Um, Greg yells, security, security. The security guy actually walks over. Mm-hmm. Tom, you back off. This is executive level business. <laughs> this poor pelted Greg is just trying to say, Tom, we're friends. We're best friends. <laughs> So this this um, scene of him throwing the water bottles and screaming, this is executive level business. Mm-hmm. Very, very popular GIF of the show. I've gotten it, I don't know how many times from people, but my wife sends it to me. Everybody who I know who's watched the show sends it to me. Anytime I say it, I've got a meeting I'm not looking mm-hmm. forward to. You know, I got an employee who's a pain in the ass. Yep. This is executive level business. Now, what do we make of this thing? Because this seems like Tom is finally able to process another person, his emotional reaction to Shiv. Yep. I think that... When he said a business open relationship, that's when Tom went. Yeah, yeah, he went over the line. He felt like he could actually express himself to Greg, say exactly what he was feeling. Mm -hmm. But I'm going to say this. I want to go on record here. I'm ready to hear it. We're recording. People are going to hear me. Throwing water bottles at a subordinate over and over, full water bottles over and over again is Mm -hmm. an unacceptable business practice. You know, I appreciate you going out on a limb to kind of make these statements yes. that are truly in a gray area of business practice. So, not acceptable. I'm on record about that. Yeah, no, you know. Yeah. That being said, mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Tom did everything he could do to protect Greg in the last episode. Could have sold him out. We were singing his praises for how he protected Greg. And the very next episode, during an active shooter situation, mm-hmm. Greg decides to say, I don't want to work for you anymore. That is shit timing on Greg's part I, I am a big Greg apologist I want him to ultimately win the Game of Thrones or whatever we're watching mm. I rooting for Greg but that was a bad look no. and it, I I don't blame Tom for getting upset I do however want to go back to my previous statement not okay to throw full water bottles at a subordinate you know I think that's always a fair thing to say now all, not just being subordinates though as in said in Greg's words they are also best friends do you feel that the best friend addition allows water bottle throwing to be a more acceptable emotional response? I'm going to say that if your best friend fucks you over, you can throw a water bottle at the wall, at not the wall. at the friend. So the first throw the was first okay. The first throw was okay through the context of the friendship. Now, what if he was just throwing at the wall and Greg was in the way? Because Greg bad. loves to you know, get himself in the way of Just things. an accident. Yeah. yeah. But this was very clearly targeted water bottle throwing from, uh, from Tom. I love your forensic take on this particular scene. Yes, I appreciate that. Oh, <laughs> uh, yeah. Back to the real safe room, and Kendall comes in, and Logan shows more emotion than I have ever seen him show. Really? It is. He really does. And he hugs him. Mm-hmm. He holds his shoulders. 
He's oh god, oh thank you. I'm so glad you're here. Mm-hmm. I've never seen him like show like actual vulnerability like this. Yeah, it, it, and I've seen the man have a stroke. And it's even like a moment where he feels just kind of lost in how much he's concerned about. Because he even asks Kendall, "Where were you? Mm-hmm. Like, what 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 has been happening? Where were you? This is real. This appears to be real concern about one of his children. I." I'm always a bit surprised that Logan could occasionally remind me that he's human, but this seems to be one of those moments. And I keep going back to it. I think ultimately he was worried that Kendall had something to do with the shooting. Yeah. yeah. Um, Jerry explains that the shooting was one person, an ATN producer, and he committed suicide. Do you notice the flipping of the channels back and forth in the the safe room? The switching between ATN and Pierce, yep. ATN and Pierce, ATN yep. and Pierce. Yeah. I think that because that finally Jerry goes back over to where. Ray is sitting and says, can we change it back to ATN? Shire, fine, yeah. <laughs> Raya points out it's becoming increasingly difficult to explain to folks why she keeps canceling meetings and where she is. Uh, Shib then starts probing about why she's there. Mm-hmm. Shib pieces together their interested in acquisition of PGN, mm-hmm. uh, which she's already heard before. Um, yeah. and, and Logan said she was not to speak of. Shib then starts shitting on the idea. Which is really interesting. Very strange behavior. Um, and she does, I don't even think she meant to do this, but she actually does it so much. It's somewhat helpful in the conversation because then Raya has to point out, well, there are some synergies that make sense. It's not a completely bad idea. I almost say if that was an intentional maneuver, good on her, but I don't think that's intentional. No, because she, she's a bull in the China shop later on in the conversation. Oh yeah. Um, and when she's shitting on the idea, Kendall does come in hot. We take her view very serious with her years of media experience. <laughs> yeah. That was a good, good comment from him. Um, uh, Raya says that, like I say, there are some synergies between the two companies. That, the, in in a sense, it would make you know, right, uh, yeah. some level of business sense. But it's the incompatible culture that's the problem. Right. Kendall says, "I've got something to address that." Yeah. I'm... It's twenty one billion dollars, which is an interesting response. Which Shiv immediately goes, "Well, that's not the conversation. We we need to, we need to discuss this culture. We need to reassure them about how we can protect their culture and their independence." Well, that was Logan that actually said twenty one billion. And when Shib starts that shit, Kendall jumps in and says 21.5. Yeah. And then Ray's like, you're just bidding against yourself. Mm. No, they're not. No. They're bidding against her reaction. Yeah. Uh, when she actually says, I'll take it back. This is, they knew 21, probably 21.5 wasn't going to do it. From her reaction, it seems like it's not doing it, but it seems like she wants them to keep talking. Right. And Shiv does not understand this at all. No. Nope. She is entirely left out in the cold right now. And she keeps on trying to harp the culture, culture, culture. That's what really matters. And that is so irrelevant to what they're talking about right now. It's funny. Of where that is so much the, yes, obviously that needs to be in place. We wouldn't even be having that conversation. Which Raya about actually that. says yes, to her. That that is, and Chip doesn't even really get that. When Raya says, well, yeah, of course, that would have to be a baseline for us to even have this conversation. And Shiv keeps emphasizing that without realizing that Raya just told you, yeah, that's assumed. Yeah, we don't need to talk about that. Now we're talking about... The number, and Logan says, he jumps in and he says, look, I'm a hairy bastard, but I love the news. Mm-hmm. And he makes the point, hey, we got to get to the number. But ultimately, you got to trust me. Because we can write, I think he's even, he, man, does he dismiss your profession altogether. Oh, he yeah. says, you can write up a contract with all kinds of provisions, but we both know I can get out of it if I want to. Mm-hmm. The thing is, do you trust me? And he keeps going back to that. And Shib jumps in and actually says, well, that's irrelevant, Dad. You're not going to be around forever. And that's when Logan says, Siobhan, be quiet. He actually cuts her off in the conversation. Which, he's had to tell her this basically a couple times, that Shiv, you are truly observing today. You don't know a thing about what's going on. 
And this is the time it seems to actually come through to her because she remains out of the conversation from here on going. Oh yeah, yeah. He, I mean that that type of rebu- rebuke from Logan, even even Shiv doesn't come back from in that conversation. And then Logan dovetails the whole thing by saying, "Hey, do you trust me?" At twenty four billion. So he just jumped. At, I think two and a half billion, um, just to kind of book in the conversation. Right. And throughout this, uh, Ray has been indicating that. Yeah, this is the conversation we need to actually have. Because she's had several lines about, man, if you guys keep on saying this, I'll think you're serious or things like that. Yeah, yeah. Which Shift doesn't pick up on, really. Nope. But Logan and Kendall are on the same page. Well, and that's the thing about an overconfident person. And Shift is the cl- classic definition of an overconfident confident person in this conversation is that she thinks she has the right answer and is not looking at the incremental evidence that she could be gaining through the conversation. She just started out with saying, oh, well, if we can reassure them about the culture piece, this is over. Mm-hmm. And if she would have remained open in the conversation, to what was being said, she would have picked up on those clues from Rand. No, the very smart... I mean, she's at a disadvantage. She has not been brought into the loop about this at all, and that does put her at a rough starting point. Which is why she should shut the hell up. But that's exactly it. If she'd been smart about this, she just would have sat and listened to them talk for a minute, and she could have known exactly where they are and exactly what the nature of this conversation is and how she can assist that. Yep. And, but she's got a certain element of pride that she feels like she has to be able to control and direct the conversation. That she has to be the main person talking... Otherwise, she's irrelevant. Mm-hmm. And for something where you don't have the background necessary to know where people are already at, it is really dangerous to do that. And Absolutely. She kind of steps into it a bit because of it. But Logan is still, despite the, the sort of, you know, the distraction that Siobhan actually presents in the conversation, he's able to get to where he wants. Oh, yeah. Which is clearly a predetermined number of 24 that he's pitch, he's giving to Ray, and Ray basically says, well, I'm going to take this back to the family. Mm-hmm. Um, and then we... Cut to the the room <laughs> um, that um, <laughs> that Roman is in. Now I've been saying that the world's worst uh, panic room <laughs> is Tom. I think Roman actually has a worse one because Brian just walks in. He goes, uh, uh, "Here's your safe room." Yeah, he goes, "Yeah, it's he's, impregnable." He's, he's, he walks in. It's like, "Hey, uh, he's my my partner. Can I go in and talk to him?" And they just let him in. Yep. It's like no, no vetting necessary in this. And I love the framing of this too, of where it looks like a children's pediatric room. It does. It very much looks like he's about to get his annual shots or something. <laughs> yep. Uh, Brian comes in. He explains. He said, "Well, they named the winning pitch." Are you trying to do suspense on me, Brian? <laughs> Brian, Brian says that they won. Uh, Roman kind of a dick move here Roman says well they only gave it to me because of the name says I'm basically fucking Elvis around here mm-hmm. Brian doesn't seem to believe that he says well why don't we go check why don't we go ask and see why they gave it to us and he says alright well, let's go check yeah, and Roman for a brief moment you're like okay maybe we did actually win he gets kind of excited as they go out to go yeah, check let's go check cut to Connor and Wyla at the funeral and Connor is preparing a speech Wyla gamely warns Connor not to speak yeah because Mo got into some awful shit She's starting to figure that out. Yeah, she start, She apparently did a... She actually worked the room a little bit. I mean, Marsha basically told her, go talk to people, find out what's going on, see if you can talk with the journalist, talk with the wife about what information was given to this person that's writing the book. Mm-hmm. And so she went and go talk, She went to talk to, what was it, the Wolf Pack or something like that? Mm-hmm. Which is like a collection of people that uh, Logan used to run with back in the time She's with like, Mo. Wolf Pack? What the fuck? Um, so yeah, she's basically saying, dude, you shouldn't be talking. Yeah, these are, um, these are bad people. Like, and this is the exchange that we talked about. Connor says it was a different time. Wyla, it wasn't a time before there were laws. <laughs> yeah, good line from Wyla there. The biographer comes in. Sham, <laughs> interesting move for her to show up. She tries to engage Connor. Connor says, here's what you can, you can quote me on. Mm-hmm. 
Conroy was interested in politics at a very young age. I think he repeats it four times to her as she continues to try to engage him in a normal conversation. He goes, hmm, very interesting. Conroy was interested in politics at a very young age. It is interesting to see Connor handle this because we've described him before as being a bit of a doofus, as being pretty damn strange. But he immediately recognizes the threat of this woman and responds appropriately and accordingly. And based on the advice he also received from Wyla, completely adjusts, based on this woman's presence, what he was going to say for the eulogy. Before, he's no longer trying to make a message for himself. He's trying to do as much, as limited response as possible. Damage control, essentially, from what otherwise can be used against him. And mm -hmm. it's weird, but he does a pretty good job of it. Yeah, completely agree. Um, back to Waystar and Tom and Greg are released from their room. Interesting line of dialogue here from Tom. Mm. You know, uh, Greg, I know that um, it wasn't cool, you know, the bottles, the attack. Greg, no, it didn't feel great. I don't always like who I am, Greg. It's an interesting line from Tom. It really mm -hmm. is. Um, and But Greg, he, he goes on to explain, look, Greg, you're good, you're loyal, you're smart. Why don't I let you go? Greg then pulls out the trump card that we all know he has from season one. He says, hey, look, remember when you had me destroy all those documents related to the cruise scandal? Mm -hmm. Which Mo was very much part of. Oh, yeah. Um, I saved a couple. So I, I, I don't, like, literally want to blackmail you or anything right now, but I just kind of want to let you know and I love that Tom has the exact same response that Kendall did when Greg told him this. Loved it. It's like he, it's like he's legitimately amused. He's so proud of Greg that he's got this kind of ambition to actually try to blackmail him over this. And Greg actually says, is that cool? And Tom goes, are you asking if you can blackmail me? Uh, Tom then later says, very well, I accept your blackmail. No, no, I'm not blackmailing. And then Tom just starts throwing the world at him. Yep. He says, you're going to get a new title. You're going to be fast-tracked. A lot more money, bigger office. Mm -hmm. um, he has to make it sexual, of course, because it's Tom. So he says, yeah, we're throwing away the training, bro. Yep. And then he says, you're a fucking slime ball. a boy. <laughs> and again, there's just such fatherly pride attached to him as he says this. Mm -hmm. Back at the funeral. Um, this is very interesting to me. So some young girl is speaking. I think she's doing like a Bible reading. Myla hands Connor's speech back to him. And she says, I took a pass. Let's see her make something out of this. Spencer, I'm ready to do the eulogy of Mo Lester as said by presidential candidate Connor Roy. I mean, I was in tears the first time I heard it. I don't know how I'll be able to respond this time. It's, uh, yeah, buckle in, folks. If you're driving, pull off to the side of the road. It's a, it's a real tearjerker. Connor says the following. Mm -hmm. Hello, I'm here as a fellow human to acknowledge that Lester has, as we know, passed on. Lester was a man. Also, Lester was an employee of the Waystar Company for 40 years. And when a man dies, it is sad. Let us, all of us will die one day. In this case, it is Lester who has done so. Lester was alive for 78 years, but no more. Now he is dead. Lester's wife is Maria. They were married for 15 years. Now she is sad. I know, how can you just, I mean, the tearjerker, I mean... My God, he has a way with words. It, it's just a powerful speech. And I love when they're cutting to the journalist in the audience. It's like, she's just flabbergasted by this. And you cut to the wife, who's like, what the fuck was that? Yeah. Lester's wife is Maria. They were married for 15 years. Now no, she, she is, is sad. sad. It's literally like a kindergartner could have wrote. Yeah. And I, what I, one thing I enjoy, though, is did you see what other people that were in front of the journalist were reacting to the speech? No, what were they doing? Well, while she's just like jaw dropped, like, man, this gives me nothing to work with. Entirely not what she expected she mm -hmm. to be able to use out of Connor. There's some people in the front of her going, yeah, so, 
He did die. He did die. He and was the, a man. And that is sad. It is sad. It's, it's like, <laughs> man, this has hit me on a fourth grade level and I'm with it. Yeah, everybody, at the, a couple of people seem to like it, but when they panned out at the end. Oh, yeah, the wife is. So yeah, most people seem a little flummoxed. It's such a strange. I mean, can you imagine me in a funeral and somebody says that? I'd no. be like, what was this, a serial killer? Like, how, you can't say anything more than that? No, it's like, did you get, you know, uh, some spark notes on what emotional response is? Is this what you're running off right now? Hilarious. Back to Logan, who was walking Rhea to the car. Um, Logan says, I hope to see you soon. She says, well, if not, we'll always have the panic room. Oh. You know, Casablanca reference. Uh, Rhea says she'll give the family the number and her honest assessment on if they can trust Logan. What do you think she's going to tell them? I think she's officially bought off at this point. That's what I think. I think that she's going to give them her honest assessment about Logan, the degree to trust him, but she's also going to give her honest assessment about $24 billion in cash. And I think Logan understands this. Because he even pulls her aside for that last moment and just talks to her again mm-hmm. about it. Um, so yeah, I think he fully understands that she's going to, in some ways, do her duty as an officer, but also recommend the deal. Yeah, I agree. Um, but I also think the conversation will go like this. Mm. The... Nan Pierce, who's the, the head of the Pierce family, you'll meet her next episode. They do that on the previous, or the, the next on, so it's not, not really a spoiler. Mm-hmm. Um, we'll say, hey, can we trust him? And it'll be like when they were hunting and Greg asked Tom, can you can I trust you? Yeah, totally. To a point. To a point. <laughs> yeah, I think that's yeah. the, yeah, you can yeah. trust him. To a point. Mm-hmm. You can trust that his cash offer is legitimate. That's what you can trust. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, Rhea says that if they are serious about approaching the family, this is that Rhea says this just to Logan. Mm-hmm. If you're serious about approaching the family, a peace offering would be nice. Quote that Walmart Mussolini who put Nan Pierce off her old fashioned Ravenhead. Oh, yes. And the fact that she even recommends this just shows how committed she is to the deal already. Is mm-hmm. that okay? So you've given us our cash. Give us this too, and we'll no longer just be having a conversation. Absolutely. And Spencer, I got to tell you, I, I did these notes one pass through. I didn't even pause it. Yeah. I think I've done a hell of a job here. Oh, it's been impressive. Uh, thank you. Thank you. I appreciate it. I'm going to need you to take over next thing. You're a son of a bitch. Because <laughs> <laughs> we have Roman phone sex scene. It's very uncomfortable. Spencer has agreed to delete it. Take it away, Spencer. All right. Well, I got the script. So let's just <laughs> go from there. Uh, so... We heard before that apparently Roman is convinced that a thing that normies do is that they have phone sex with their significant others. Because totally, that's what us normies of the world engage in all the damn time. So he calls Tabs. It's cute that they call him, he calls her Tabs. I like Tabs. Uh, and they proceed to try to engage in the phone sex that they think normal people have. And Tabitha, worldly person that she is, has apparently engaged in phone sex before and goes through the motions that are actually emotionally appropriate. Roman doesn't know how to respond to that, though. It's like, no, 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 no. You actually sound like you're trying to be sexy. Could you make it more normal for me? Mm-hmm. Can, can we make this just like, oh, oh, I'm fuck you, I'm coming, oh, I'm done, bye. Actually, <laughs> I think I can highlight what he says there. there. <laughs> uh, it's like, yeah, let's let's just be normal. More like, I want to fuck you in the pussy. So it's just like, she's barely even able to keep from laughing during all this. It's like a, like sixth grade anatomy class it's like i'm going to put my penis in your vagina mm-hmm. and that's what we do now oh it's in it's going out it's going in yeah, yeah. And, and so she no longer even take this seriously goes well what are you gonna do next you're gonna i don't know change your water filter cartridge God, just funny. <laughs> which which she responds oh jesus fucking christ oh i'm coming i'm coming i came yay thank you hooray bye it just hangs up and then so that's a funny scene that's a funny scene already but then we hit a whole new level. In typical succession fashion, they take us somewhere else. Now, you have been saying 
for weeks on this podcast mm-hmm. that you actually really like the relationship between Jerry and Roman. It's a mother-son relationship in your mind. And I'm not backing away from that, but okay. this is Roman. Okay. It has to be a twisted thing. All right, take it away. So he calls her, and he's been contacting her throughout this episode to get advice. You know, very much like Greg with his mom in terms of constantly wanting to do what the next step of things was. I'd like to point out that Jerry has an empty martini glass in front of her. She does. So she's had a martini. Is she still at work, it looks like? Or? Oh, she's at home, yeah. She's at home, yeah. Uh, so she's watching the news. She's seeing the response to the things. Roman calls. She responds, and they, again, go back into the whole thing that he was cut from the the promo video because it was a really weird thing of where they have Kendall briefly say a couple words about the company and whatever else and then they just cut to Roman's face and he says nothing mm-hmm. and they keep on moving on and again Roman's very dissatisfied about this and they start going to a conversation of where they're doing their usual insulting back and forth and Roman then lies down on a bed as they're doing their little insulting back and forth unbuckles his pants and you know Jerry just kind of makes a joke about, you know, go to bed, masturbate all your ideas out, and see how excited you feel tomorrow. So, like, Roman's pr- su- uh, proposing that, you know, this idea that I, ha- that I had. You need to build it. We need to build it right away. It is a nice thing that he, that he wants Brian to be fast-tracked. Yeah, and I, I believe he goes through with that. And, you know, good. Good for Brian. He seem like a pretty a pretty capable enough guy, and you, you've worked well off Roman. So, he's an enigma. Yeah, he's an enigma. You don't, never know what to expect. Like a dormant virus. He's right now. He's hiding out in the Fort Myers branch, but who knows what he's capable of. <laughs> Um, so she again just says, you know what, go masturbate your ideas out. Stop telling me about this. We're not running with them right away. And in response to this, Roman lays on the bed, unbuckles his belt, and starts actually jacking off. Yes. And by his heavy breathing, Jerry pretty quickly realizes that he's actually doing this. Yep. And he's doing it seemingly in response to her calling him repulsive, a pig, all kinds of other little, like, you little slime puppy, all kinds of other delightful little insults that are put his way. And she immediately realizes this, smiles, and starts doing it. Yes. Starts just doing that. Yes. And he continues. Insulting him, yes. Yeah, just starts thinking of new little insults to throw his way. Calling him revolting, everything else. And then the scene ends. And then the scene ends. And wow. They've always had this kind of weird, flirty relationship where they've seemed to like enjoy each other's company. He's always relied on her to go for advice. She's been simultaneously investing in a couple different of the Roy siblings to, you know, serve her own interests going forward. But I didn't think they would go here. No. No, I didn't either. Uh, it, it surprised me. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, I wouldn't say it shocked me because they did lay the groundwork, but it certainly surprised me they went this far with it. Um, and then when I, I remember watching this and thinking, well, now where do we go? Yeah, where do we go from here? Particularly her response to it, of where... She seemed to like it. She seemed to get off to it to a certain degree, yeah, too. Yeah, she liked it. So, they've always had a close relationship, but... Man, where does it go from here now that they've openly accepted that that's an aspect of it, too? Okay, anything else? Because uh, that is a seminal scene um, of the Seminal? <laughs> Pretty good. Please tell me you didn't do that Pierced. intentionally. Pierced. <laughs> <laughs> go on. Um, okay, well, that's that's a big one. Mm-hmm. All uh, right, back to Waystar... Uh, Shib approaches Kendall. Uh, they're alone in an office. This is another seminal scene of a very different kind. It is. Uh, third now awkward interaction between the two of them. Yeah. Um, and she comments again about the medication. She clearly pisses her off that he's on medication duty. Mm-hmm. Then she jumps into a confrontation about exactly what's going on between Kendall and Logan. Kendall says there's no deal. He promises. Shib asks why Logan is protecting him from the drugs, the shoplifting. I 
gathered from Kendall's reaction, this is the first time he knew he thought anybody he realized anybody knew about the shoplifting. Now, when he says I don't know what that's about, I think I think he's being very honest that he had no idea this was always happening in the background. Yeah. So she's not a dummy. She says there is an atmosphere. Kendall then starts to break a little bit. Um, maybe he's concerned about me for whatever reason. And Shiv keeps pushing him. Because... You can't tell me? You can't tell me what's going on? No. She says, fucking look at me. Shiv, it's not going to be me. You want to tell me why? Come here, give me a hug. Not not normal in the Roy family. No. And Shiv at first thinks it's kind of like a joke, whatever else. And she, you know, accepts the hug, still smiling, kind of laughing it off. And within a second, she realizes. Because he starts crying. Yeah, he starts crying into her shoulder. And she actually shows a degree of empathy or sympathy for another person. She does. Which is an interesting response from Shiv of where... She starts to get really concerned about Kendall. It's like she's never seen him in this kind of state before. Probably in the like the worst of his drug episodes. This was still not how you'd respond to things. No. Uh, she says, Are you okay? Hell of a line here. Uh, really a gut punch. I mean, this is a preposterous show, but we do care about the characters, and this is a really emotionally impactful line. For me, he says, I would just ask that you take care of me because um, if dad didn't need me right now, I don't know exactly what I would be for. He waits a few beats. Yeah, it's not going to be me. This is a rough damn scene. It's tough. This is a rough damn scene. Ship seems really touched. She asks if he wants to talk more. Kendall says, I really can't, but uh, thank you. Um, and this ends again with, yeah, yeah, it ain't, ain't going to be me. me. Yeah. And through tears, he sort of chuckles a little bit and walks out. Very interesting scene here to conclude the episode. Kendall walks out to his favorite place. Third time he's on the roof. And big glass panes have been installed so that he cannot get over the railing. This was shocking yeah. to me. I mean, I, this floored me when that came out. We're, we've seen him twice now come to this place. We viewed it as his purposeful private place where he could be away from everything else. And this just makes it all the more apparent of, yeah, your dad understands what's going on. Yes. Your dad's been watching you. Your dad is concerned. And I'm rendering this location suicide proof. Yep. He, he literally, I mean, the pains are 12 feet high. I mean, you yep. can't get over. And Kendall gets this real quick and just walks over and just puts his head on the glass. Yeah, and you're just that. dying for this man right yep. now. He knows that people are watching him. People are talking about his mental state. And they're, they're, he's not hiding it particularly well, at least not from, say, Logan or Ship. Yeah. And... I, I also think that Shib might have had something to do with this. I think he, she could have that night called Logan and said, Kendall's in rough, rough shape. That is true. This is the next morning we yep. see him out there. So a lot, knowing what the money they can throw around, a lot can be done when you just tell the contractor money is no object. Yeah, just, get, just do it. Uh, anyway, that's it. Recap over. That is the end of Season 1, Episode 4, Safer. Mm-hmm. And... Uh, you know, if we want to go into relationship advice, I feel like you kind of stepped on my stepped on me a little bit there. Okay. With it. But uh, I'm going to go back to what you already said that uh, don't throw bottles at coworkers. And <laughs> when it comes to close friends, uh, you know, one bottle at a wall is okay. But yeah. otherwise, if more bottles start to be thrown and your friend is in the way, that's not good. That's not a good thing to do. Okay. The folksy wis wisdom that you bring to bear for us is just always impressive. I do appreciate that. I feel like I'm the moral compass of the podcast. Uh, so yeah, that says nothing at all. Relationship advice <laughs> of the episode. Let's move on to uh, Roman line of the episode. Now we got we, a couple. We got a few Roman lines. I would ask you go through them. I know what I'm going to award, mm -hmm. um, but I do want to hear some of the better ones. Okay. Well, some good ones that we had were his initial conversation that he has with um, Jerry about yeah, it's glorious. Yeah, no amount of antibacterial gel is going to be able to wipe the America <laughs> off me. And I want to grow up and be become a real little boy and learn the price of an egg and do phone sex with my girlfriend like a normo. So, 
and just a door that apparently he feels compelled to actually do that as part of his <laughs> management training. So that's a first one that we got. Another one that we have a little bit later on is uh, all of his... Well, A, the fact he appears in the damn suit is kind of a quote unto itself in the damn turkey suit. But then the lines that he says to them about, so I'm guessing you two aren't fucking much. You know, you need to go home and figure this shit out. This is a sad state of affairs, my friend. This woman needs satisfaction that you're clearly not, not providing. What was that? What'd you say? I said, gobbledy, go fuck yourself. It's just like, what? <laughs> Again, the fact that he feels that he's able to say this in the costume is just hilarious to me. And then, um, again, we don't really do not have much. It's really not till pretty much really later on that we get then his phone sex conversation with his girlfriend of where he describes what he apparently thinks that phone sex between normies is like is just saying things, lines like, I want to fuck you in the pussy. And then his ending line of, oh, Jesus Christ, oh, I'm coming, I'm coming, oh, I came, thank you, yay, thank you, hooray, bye. Yeah, yeah, that was fun. Okay. Those are my three examples I have to offer. What do you got? Uh, Roman line of the episode. This week, not being awarded to Roman. Oh. This is a line from Kindle. Get your snifflies out. I would just ask that you take care of me because uh, if dad didn't need me right now, don't know exactly what I would be for. That is a really powerful damn line. Line of the episode. Roman didn't say it. Sorry, Roman. You didn't get a lot of screen time. Uh, that's the line from Kindle. I think that's the... The line that tells you the most about the plot. Let's unpack that line a little bit. Sure. When Kendall says that, how do you interpret how he feels about what his position is right now? Does he think that he's on such thin ice that if he's not immediately important to his dad, that his dad would just cast him off and that would be it? No, I didn't take it that way. How do you interpret it? it? I took it to mean that he feels like he's conveying to Shib that part of his outsized role right now Mm -hmm. is a little bit of like welfare. It's a little bit of... Ah. Dad's only giving me the medication to give him and, and all these this stuff. Mm-hmm. And I'm only in his office because he has to take care of me because I have all these issues you don't know about. Right. And if he wasn't doing that right now, I would probably spin out. Mm-hmm. He's given me this purpose as a way of structure. giving me some degree of structure and direction and deprived of that, God knows where I would be. Yes. Fair point. Fair point. That's and how I took it. God, that is tragic. Yeah, it's tough. Uh, you know, not a good place. Uh, but he, he, what's interesting about him is being not in a good place, mm-hmm. and then we can transition to Roy of the episode. I feel like he has had some of his stronger episodes in the past, like two or three episodes, where he's just getting shit done. I mean, it's one of those really sad things of where these episodes have made very apparent how good Kendall could be at his job, how good Kendall is at his job, what potential he has to offer. But none of this is for him. None of this is what he actually wants to be doing. None of this is, you know, proving himself and accomplishing his things on his own behalf. It's all just for his dad. It's not the life and world that he wanted. Correct. And that just makes it all the more painful that he's doing really well at doing the exact opposite of what he ever intended to be. Right. Yeah. It's, it, Kindle's in a pretty tragic place right now. <laughs> so, accepting that, Roy of the episode? Roy of the episode. Well, let's say who is not Roy of the episode. It certainly is not Roman. Uh, is um, it? I don't think so. I mean, he did have some successes. Yeah, but he's having to start back at square one to a point that it's... I, hey, his pitch won among that crowd. Yeah, I don't know. Brian pitched it. He couldn't even, he couldn't even pitch in a fucking it, first day of meeting. But it was Roman's idea. It was a pretty good idea. It's he, not a bad one. And uh, he had established a new relationship with Jerry, which we'll see where that goes. Uh, let's, uh, yeah, I, I don't, I'm not going to, I don't think... He gets no, it. we not clearly not. So, Shib is maybe the the loser of the episode. 
because yeah. she continues to have her stock tank as she opens her mouth. She got some interesting information that could help her going forward. She has a better understanding now of where Kendall, in his own eyes, sits and stands. But little of what she tried to do this episode worked. Agreed. Agreed. Um, particularly in her dad's eyes. I don't think that you can pick Kendall because I think he's just such such emotionally shaky ground. Again, he's, he's su- in trouble. He's succeeding, but it's not for him, and it's definitely not improving his emotional stake. No, not at all. So I don't think it's Kendall. Um, By process of elimination, then. Uh, I'm going to give honorable mention this week to Greg. Greg back in the honorable oh, mention man. saddle after a rough run last episode. Yeah, I mean, I think it was it was good for him to assert himself to Tom. Hey, I, I need mm-hmm. I need to move on. As I pointed out before, his timing was bordering on Vulcan and how yep. uh, mm-hmm. how mm-hmm. fucking mm-hmm. Uh, just stupid it was mm-hmm. and soulless. Uh, we, we got to see again how important he is to Tom in terms of when Tom sets him on a task, Greg goes and gets important information, gives him good advice about how to see about it. Because finding out about the dog was a good catch to bring to, uh, bring to Tom. Correct. Uh, so honorable mention goes to Greg. Uh, but winner of Roy of the episode this week, not going to be a big surprise to anybody. You've got two different options still. I'm going Logan. Okay. Logan at the end of the episode has made more progress than I think we were to expect as a viewer in the Pierce deal. Yeah. He's got a, he's got the CEO who's met with him actually negotiated in good faith. He's Mm -hmm. given her a number she's impressed by. She's even now giving him advice back on how to approach the family. Here's here's one thing you can do that will soften the approach. Mm-hmm. Um, I think he's made a lot of progress toward this deal, and he said that he believes if he can close this deal, he can make it work, then Stewie and Pierce go away, and, and he kind of alleviates his most immediate problems. Now, it is legitimately surprising. So we, we know this is not the first time he's attempted this, that this has right. been a recurring thing for him in the past, and it's apparently failed abjectly every time he's attempted it. This time, man, it has been a level of clear sailing I didn't think was possible. Of where they are moving this forward in giant leaps and strides where I assume they'd be going through constant roadblocks. Mm-hmm. Should we also give honorable mention for Connor for the single greatest eulogy ever delivered in the history of mankind? I think that's fair. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Co yeah. Co-honorable mentions this week. Uh Connor, um, through help with Wyla, through help with Marsha, um, <coughs> not, not completely destroying um the very, very small chance he has yeah. in his candidacy. And by giving one of the most remarkable and ridiculous eulogies ever. And I want you to do this for me, Spencer. Will you promise me something? What can I do for you? Well, you're going to live longer than I am. <laughs> I love that just assumed at this point. Yeah. But here's what I need you to do. Yeah. Agree to do my eulogy and get, stand up there and do that. Do that exact yes. eulogy? Because think about it. like, Because I know what will happen. Like Some of the guys will be there and they'll be like, where did I heard that? Like th- somewhere in the cobwebs of my brain, forty years ago, I heard that, and it's well, what is it? It's from a dumb podcast that we did <laughs> on December 29th, two thousand. What's gonna be really fun if I do do that <laughs> is Sarah's response to it. She's not gonna react the way Maria did. <laughs> no, she probably laughed. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> Lee. So, yeah. Lee was a man, and now he is not, and that is sad. <laughs> that is sad. Oh my god, it's like it's like a bad Twitter account trying mm-hmm. to do a eulogy. Anyway, that was a that was a funny line. So we've got Logan wins Roy of the episode. I, I, Honorable mention yeah. to Connor and Greg. Good episode. No, very good. I liked it. I I told you before. I think it's a setup episode, even mm-hmm. though, you know, some you know very immediate things happen. There was an mm-hmm. active, potentially an active shooter. They thought it was. I still think it's setting up for 
uh, more plot around this potential Pierce deal. I very much agree. And from what we saw in the preview of next episode, it appears that we're cutting straight to it. Yep. Where, what, from what we saw in the next episode, it looks like they're even going to a, kind of like a retreat with the Pierce family. This is their equivalent of the hunting lodge in Hungary. Mm-hmm. And, and they sit around and count their Pulitzers. How many do they have at this point, apparently? Because if they eat it for breakfast each day, it's got to be quite a few. Fucking butter wouldn't melt. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, we're gonna, that's, that, I think there was a setup for next episode. Next episode's going to be a lot of fun. Spencer, anything else you want to talk about from Season 2, Episode 4, Safer? No, I thought it was a very solid episode, or surprisingly emotional episode, of where I I really didn't think we'd kind of get those emotional scenes between uh, Kendall and Shiv, but it really did tug on the heartstrings right there. And I still don't know how Kendall gets out of this. I don't know how he finds a degree of peace, because as much as his dad is trying to provide an element of a treatment plan by keeping him distracted, it's apparently not helping him. He's apparently not getting to any kind of better place as a result of this. And I don't know how he'll ever be able to do so, so long as he's under his dad's umbrella. I agree. I agree. I, I, I don't know what's next for Kendall. But um, I do think that they have given enough service in the plot to his mental state that that's not just going to go away. I would, I would assume we're going to delve into that a little bit more. Very much agree. Cool. All right. Well, Spencer, this is great. We mm-hmm. did it live. We should do this more often. Oh, yeah. Absolutely a lot of fun. Uh, I'm looking forward to New Year's festivities, everybody. Uh, we're posting this on December 29th. We post these uh, Magnum Talks TV every Sunday. But be on the lookout next couple weeks for a, a number of whiskey on the weekends. We're going to have a lot of fun with that. Thanks, everybody, for listening. See you. <laughs>